This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. You're listening to the Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. Jim Cunningham with you. The Bayo Quartet is here. Bayo meaning blessed? Do I have it in my memory correctly? That is correct. And to, and to gladden and to make happy. All those wonderful things. We are blessed to have you here. That's for sure. Let's have everyone introduce yourself, please. We'll start to, to my right and go left. Hi, I am Jason. I play a violin with Bale String Quartet. I am Sean. I play viola with the quartet. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm uh, the quartet's cellist. Hi, I'm Gio, and I play violin. Very good. You have Bach for us. You're going to play live in the studio. We really appreciate that. And you have a big Bach concert, two of them happening in the very near future. How did you get going with Bach? This has been part of your repertoire for a long time. You're going to record it, I understand. Let's talk about the concerts, where and when. Sure. The concerts are really, they're more of pop-up concerts. We just start, We just planned for these, um, and the reasons I'll talk about in a minute. But the first one is on March 30th at 7.30 p.m., and that's at Bantha Tea Bar down in Bloomville, right on Penn Avenue. Really awesome place, great tea, um, wonderful vibe. And bonus if you're a Star Wars fan because Bantha is a reference to Star Wars. And then the um, the second concert is just the following evening on March 31st at 7.30 p.m. at Bellevue Presbyterian Church. And we've been working on the Bach really for on and off for three years, give or take. Um, and the start of this season, we really decided that we are going to record it um, this April. And so we've been seasoning them, performing them, finding our interpretation. And we thought we should do some pop-up concerts to perform it in its entirety uh, just prior to going into the studio. What's it going to cost me? What will it set me back for a ticket? Zero dollars. No, <laughs> too good to be true. <laughs> That's great. So you hope to have an enthusiastic audience and everyone will be turned on by the Bach, I'm sure, and you're playing. Uh, but the Art of the Fugue is a huge piece, yes? How yes. long does it take to do it all? The better part of an hour? It is a better part of an hour, and a lot of the recordings are what I might call compendiums, whereas our version is... Um, what we would call the Bayo's version of it. So we don't perform the entire thing. We took out all the canons, and we took out two of the fugues that are for three voices only. And so we're doing only the four-voice fugues, and part of our mission with doing this is um, we release classical concept albums. And a lot of the time that means we're pairing new music with old music and showing how they're connected, and together they can give you something that you can only get with those pieces put together on one, on one disc. And so our idea for the Bach was we're going to approach it through our analysis of the score. We're going to read the history. We're going to have informed decision-making, but we're going to create a performance version of it where it's intended to be heard in one sit-through, since, as you know, um, it's argued whether or not Bach ever intended it for it to be even performed to begin with. Tell me more about that. What do we know about why he wrote it? Do we have any idea? There's different thoughts about getting into different science societies and things like this. It's at the end of his life, the last 10 years. He kept on doing revisions. Um, and I think it's just been recently decided by the scholars, which I am not, uh, that it was intended for harpsichord. But there's still a lot of discussion on that. Uh, the way we view it is it's a work of genius in terms of it's a manual for how to write 
counterpoint in the style that he was writing, which isn't necessarily just a Germanic counterpoint. He was reaching back to the Italian counterpoint, Palestrina style, very uh, horizontal in nature. But what's amazing is there is a natural ebb and flow of character and drama and beauty that unfolds as you as you go from Fugue 1 to 2 to 3. And that's what we're trying to do, is bring a version that really brings, brings that out. And we're trying to do it um, while we're definitely not historically we don't perform in historical style, we're definitely letting it be informed by that.
Tell me about the three pieces that you recorded here in the studio that you're going to play for us here at WQED-FM. Why did you choose these? Uh, when we play, anytime we perform Art of Fugue, um, we're always doing a curated set, because as we mentioned earlier, uh, it takes up quite a chunk of time to play through it. So in general, we're, we're selecting different contrapunctae from them. So each one is called contrapunctus one, contrapunctus two, etc. And they follow a progression of complexity. So it makes sense to always play number one. Number one is the basis for which every one after is um, uh, built upon. So number one is what we'll definitely be opening with. And then the second one is just fun and we, use the word jazzy. I don't know if that will insult anybody, but um, it feels jazzy to us. He really takes it in an unexpected direction. And then, because uh, we're only playing three of them, we'll skip to number nine, which when we recently played for Stephen Schultz, he thought it sounded like rock music. So quite a variety of the fugues. Lots of energy. And the voice that you are listening to is that of? This is Jason. Jason. And we have Sean. And we haven't heard from uh, Gio. Are you the newest member of the group? Yes, that's right. I've only been with the group about a little over a year. Now tell me how you found the Bayo or they found you. Uh, yeah, so we met um, quite a few years ago at the Chamber Music America conference. Um, and my former string quartet was there and Bayo was there as well. And we met and got to talking a little bit. And then when my string quartet disbanded uh, during the pandemic, um, they had an opening for violin. And so they called me and asked if I wanted to come sit and play music and have a, do a concert that they had scheduled. And I was uh, very enthusiastic because this is what I love to do. I mean, who doesn't love playing st uh, string quartet music? And um, yeah, and then I came several times to Pittsburgh uh, throughout last year, um, 2022, and it was a really good fit. And um, then this this past August uh, of 2022, my wife, uh, Natalia Cato, and I, uh, we moved from Fort Collins, Colorado, to Pittsburgh so I could play with Bayo String Quartet. So glad you're here. That's yeah, great. Me too. Yeah. And we haven't heard from our cellist. Uh, what's new with you? Please identify yourself again. It's... Uh, this is Ryan. Uh, uh... R Ryan Ash. Well, sort of the big news in the quartet is, um, uh, well, gosh, I might be painting myself into a corner. Is this public news, Gio? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let the ahead, cat out of the bed. Yeah. Um, Gio will be joining uh, the rest of us. He and his wife are expecting um, uh, due in August. That's right. And, um, of course, I, I have a 10-month-old daughter named Eleanor, uh, Jason's daughter, Luna, um, and uh, Sean's two boys, uh, Alistair and Mateo. So it's, it's really becoming uh, quite a family business. I think that is absolutely wonderful news. Congratulations, one and all. Can be challenging, making music and <laughs> raising a family at the same time, but it's the, the most rewarding thing for sure. Okay, uh, what else should we share? Why should people come to this concert? It's rare to have an opportunity to hear it. And I didn't want to forget to ask, how did it become a quartet, this music? Was it not in Bach's original plan to have the four instruments play it? He originally wrote it as four staffs. Um, and a lot of the time it was assumed it was for harpsichord, and then it was assumed that it could be read for any pair of voices or quartet of voices. And I think it became fairly popular for the quartet maybe 50, 40 years ago. And so it's fairly commonly 
done as a string quartet. There's only a few uh, nasty little corners that you have to work through where there's five or six voices and you have to get inventive with how you how you deal with it. But it mostly works really well for really any four instruments. I know Rachel Podger has a wonderful recording where they have each different contrapunctus has a different group of instrument combinations, sometimes quartet, sometimes flute joins or a recorder, um, harpsichord. It just it works so well. The music really speaks for itself. And in that lies our challenge to understand the music for how it works as its own thing, but also then to be thinking about it as a string quartet. Uh, there's a lot of different challenges at the string quartet or interesting things. For instance, if you think of dissonance, the Bach is riddled with dissonance, but dissonance is not the same throughout every instrument. If you hear a dissonance on an organ, it's really, uh, it really strikes you uh, right to the bone and it just sustains the sound through it whereas if you hear dissonance um, for instance on a guitar since all the sound is at the front of the note you get a really different sound with quartet it seems that dissonance is a little more friendly the, the way the strings resonate with one another so we've had to be really put a lot of thought into how do we want to play and bring out these dissonances do we want to hide them like you might find in john williams where you don't really know how dissonant it is all the time or do we want to really bring it out using the tools that we have and it's these kind of decisions um, that we've been embarking on for the better part of the last year. Brass groups love it too, right? Lots of brass recordings in the Canadian brass. Pittsburgh Symphony Brass have done it. It sounds great no matter how it's done, but the string quartet's the best way to hear it, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. And we're definitely not biased at all. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, any other suggestion as to why folks ought to come? You might not have been to either of those venues or interesting places you're going to play. Yeah, this, especially this is Sean talking, the, especially the Bantha T-Bar. This is, uh, we've been playing there for the better part on and off for two years. We like doing these pop-up concerts there. It's sometimes, I think last time we played Beethoven 131 there, and the comment that we received, which is partially why we're bringing Bach there is sometimes it's nice to get to hear this, this classic canonized music in a setting that's not beholden to the formality that we might all be used to. And that's a good metaphor for how Beo approaches our music in general. We want to make sure that the music is speaking to audiences of today. And this is one way of doing that, just simply changing the venue, which is not a new idea by any means, but getting to hear Art of Fugue and Bantha T-bar is really something. And then on the 31st in the church, we had to we had to go to a church for it just for the acoustics. And also the setting is so appropriate for the natural re religious quality that Bach just writes in his music and how he was as a human. And it's the price is right. And there'll be an opportunity to meet you afterwards. You can talk it over a little bit. That's right. We like to um, visit with our audiences. Um, uh, for us, this is partially a very selfish performance. We are thinking of it as a way to prepare for a recording, and which is why it's free and it's last minute. And part of that includes getting feedback. What was, you know, someone's impression? Um, and that includes people who are friends of ours who are musicians, well, as well as someone who maybe has never heard Bach before in their life, which is, you know, not very likely, but in any case, equally valuable to us. There's always somebody new joining the party every minute. There's no question about it. So it's beautiful to do it that way. Got to ask you about your recordings. 131 is relatively new with Beethoven's string quartet number 14 as opus 131. Yeah, that's correct. This album came out in January 31st, fittingly, 131. Um, and it's the first album that we recorded with Geo. Um, and we're really excited about it. It's a classical concept album, which is a, a type of album that we've taken on since our we started our label, New Craft Records. 
uh, and the idea is to pair music that might not typically be paired together, but doing so in a way that shows a story, a musical story or journey that can only be had by pairing music that's been written long ago and music that's been written today. Um, Travels Time and 131 is an example of that kind of classical concept album. Tell me about, maybe I could get the two guys on the end here to tell me about Missy Mazzoli's enthusiasm strategies. Uh, what would you like to share about this piece? Enthusiasm Strategies is um, really an amazing work for us. It's a little bit on the shorter side, and it is classical music that I think, or rather I should say contemporary classical music, that I think it's fair to say the person who doesn't like new music will really like this piece. It starts with a a huge explosion of brilliant and delicate energy and then uh, continues on into a very rich chorale um, and the music just sort of floats away um, right at at the very end. It's been a wonderful piece for us. Gio, where'd you make the recording? Uh, We made the recording in our studio, uh, which is at Sean's house, um, which is in a converted garage that's actually now a state-of-the-art studio um, in Etna. So that's where we make all all our recordings. Great. This was your first one with the group. That's right. What did you think of the Missy Mazzoli? She's on a rise. Her reputation is hot. Yeah, you hear you hear, hear her name a lot lately. Uh, yeah, that was, it's a really cool piece. It's really fun to record. Um, I think whenever we've, we've performed it several times now, and whenever we perform it, it's a real audience pleaser because it is often like, is a good program starter. It is not too long. It's very palatable. Um, and so you'll get often audiences coming up and saying like, wow, I really love that piece. It kind of, it's ethereal, so it kind of takes you into a different world than maybe a sound kind of world than you may, maybe have heard before. Uh, lots of harmonics. So yeah, it's, audiences really love the piece. We were lucky enough to, um, well, one of the reasons we're playing now coming up two pieces of hers that we, um, were able to work with her for a concert um, we were playing in Cincinnati. And so coming up on one of our um, upcoming albums is another piece of Missy's called Harp and Altar, um, which features uh, a poem that is an ode to the Brooklyn Bridge. So that's sort of the imagery of the title. Um, Sounds great. I look forward to sharing it for sure. 1920, music by Sean Newcomb. Screens, masks, deception, and ashes. Sean, explain. Yeah, Jason approached me uh, right as the pandemic started and said, hey, you should write a new piece, to which I said, sure. (laughs) So I took some time to think about it. Um, 1920 is about the pandemic and how mm, it's not just been a troubling time for was a troubling time continues to be for everyone including artists but more than that i feel it's really brought forward the question of on whose shoulders does it lie to allow art to be created and presented and this piece really delves into that with screens the first movement it's this idea that everyone is an artist which is good and can be bad depending on the circumstance but regardless it's all being shared through screens as we're going through the height of the pandemic um What's the second movement? Masks. Masks. Masks is, it's, it really was conceived of as a stage piece. Um, and Masks 
has us as we're performing it live. We literally have a quartet mask that covers the entire quartet, um, and all you see are the, the, the screens from our webcams on our stands, and you just hear the audio. This sets up deception, where once because everything's online, you start questioning what's real and what's not. You see people playing beat per minute snare blasts, and you question whether or not it's really being digitally sped up, or you see someone playing uh, 18 versions of themselves, which is fantastic in one way, but then again, is it questions the reality of what art is and how it can be presented. And so in Deception, we still have the mask covering the quartet, and you see us on the screens, but little by little, video manipulation starts coming in, um, and pre-recorded material starts coming in and working itself in, in a way that allows the question to question, are they really hearing us live? Are they really seeing us live or not? And Ashes is the starting of Ashes is at the point where all uh, art is at this point of questioning that things have been figuratively um, destroyed just in terms of the poetry. And then we have to rebuild. And at the very end, you'll have to listen, but it's we don't necessarily get what we're rebuilding for. And it's not pessimistic in nature. It is there to question what did most people turn to during the pandemic? Art of some kind. Well, then, shouldn't art be sustained in a way that maybe it hasn't been sustained in this country? Um, and these are all just questions that are elicited, hopefully, by this piece, not as proselytation, not as giving answers, but as provoking questions. I have and to ask you something about Beethoven's Opus 131. This is one of those magic mountains, uh, Mount Everest of the string quartet literature, uh, the quartet number 14, Opus 131. Who's going to take on a little introduction to the, the Beethoven? Well, uh, Beethoven, Opus 131, uh, in, I, oh gosh. Yeah. Let me try this, this again. Take your time. <laughs> This, this is, is a day-long seminar. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, Beethoven's Opus 131, um, uh, recently discovered, was uh, composed after his famous uh, Opus 132, which contains the very famous uh, Holy Song of Thanksgiving that uh, Beethoven had written after he'd recovered from uh, long illness. And um, 131, for me, deals with these sort of titanic themes of life and death and reminiscence and memory. The piece is seven movements. They're played without pause. And uh, the heart of the quartet is a long um, series of uh, theme and variations that's absolutely transcendent in how he builds from very simple melodic material and takes us through an entire universe of emotion. And the ending is not to be missed. It's a ferocious, uh, very, very dark, very heavy march um, that, again, uh, once the march loses its energy completely, um, just sort of soars upwards into the heavens. So it's, uh, it's, it's really a titanic piece. That's spoken from the view of the cellist of the Bayo Quartet, correct? Whose name is? Uh, Ryan. Thank you. So great to have your thoughts about Beethoven. Ghosts Revisited. What would you like to share about the ghosts? 
Yeah, Sean here. Uh, I wrote Ghosts Revisited. Well, actually, I wrote a version of it back in 2010. And then when we started the new label three years ago, with uh, Jason again approached me and said, hey, we should re-record it. And so I added new uh, string quartet movements. It's a cross-genre. We actually coined a term called chamber alt to describe what it is because the music's all composed by myself. Same way I would, I would compose 1920, very motivically developed, yet it uses um, rock trio, guitar, drums, bass, and vocals. And, and it unfolds a made-up story. And we released that about a year ago, and it made some good circles in the prog rock um, underground, if you can call it that. Um, and so, yeah, it's very different than 131. Uh, and that's part of why we have a label, is so that we can release, release all of these different styles that we delve into under one, one aesthetic or one idea. What was on the first CD? The first CD we recorded through the label was called Heart Sleeve Triptych. And it had a, a Mendelssohn string quartet and a wonderful piece by composer Kyle Sana, a composer based in New York who, he, who we have worked with. And the piece is called Sequence for Minor White. We performed it quite a bit, in fact, even here in Pittsburgh. And the CD opens, does it open? The CD opens with a piece by Kareth Livengood called This Is My Scary Robot Voice. Uh, one of my all-time favorite titles and a really wonderful piece. Um, and it's funny, when you asked me about the album, it seems like so long ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. Great work on each of these discs. What other news should we share of the Bayo Quartet? You mentioned you're off to Charleston. You're working with the ballet there. You've had an East Coast tour and a West Coast tour. The, the quartet is happening. You're doing all yeah. kinds of good things. Part of the reason I would suggest people to come and hear us for the pop-up concert Art of Fugue here in Pittsburgh is we don't perform in Pittsburgh actually very often, at least as Bayo String Quartet. Most of our performances are done elsewhere. So yes, in the last few months we've had a East Coast tour, a California tour. We performed at the Morgan Library and Museum in New York City. We showcased at the Chamber Music America Conference in New York City. We were in Colombia for a festival for a couple of weeks, and we were in Brazil for a festival for a couple of weeks. We just don't make it to Pittsburgh that often. Something we're meaning to change, uh, starting with something like this, the Bach, uh, Bach Art of Fugue. Good. Well, of course, there was that crazy pandemic in the middle there. Let's let that be <laughs> in the distant past. All the best to you. Good luck with the concert. Thank you so much for coming in and playing the beautiful Bach for us right here at our studio at 4802 Fifth Avenue. Really appreciate well, it. Well, thank you for having us. Um, we love coming here. In fact, we hear it every morning. Um, my daughter, who is almost four months, that's her her morning starts with WQED and tummy time. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone's off the hook now. Thank hey, you no, so that's much. Great. Really, really great to see you. Thanks yeah, so you much too. for having Thanks for sharing. Really, yeah, really, it means a lot to come in. This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.